Hello, everyone. Welcome to another pod- podcast of Good Dog Workshop. I'm Brian Kirkter, and with me with is Carlos Marino. As usual, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. So, what uh, you want to talk about walking today? So, yeah. What are the main things that uh, that we find are problematic when we're working with first the clients when they call up and have dog walking problems, and then also uh, with the dogs? The clients usually will report to us that their dogs won't don't walk nicely, so the dogs will lunge, maybe lunge at another dog, and so I guess they're they're just a general level of frustration, and they just stop walking their dogs. So, okay, and it is is how much of that in in your experience is the dog's fault versus the people's fault? Oh man, it's zero. The dog, <laughs> the, the dog. You know, we wanna. It's fine. You know, the coping mechanism. We want to deflect and point fingers and stuff. And and, and it's uh, once you're in this game for a little while, you realize that's ridiculous to blame the animal for something that. For they, yeah, for every. I mean, they just will do what they do naturally, and it's up to us to guide them. But they do have rights. They, I believe, the dogs have fundamental rights. Obviously, you know, shelter them. From harm, you know, whatever elements, cold, you know, and but also they have a right to get out and exercise and and meet new dogs. I think so. We have to grant them uh, uh, that as well. Maybe that'll help people understand. Hey, this is important to them. This is a need I need to fulfill. But a lot of people get frustrated. Okay, so then leading into the second question, how much of this is the dog's issue? So if a dog owner is unwilling or unable to get a dog exercised, then the dog has a lot of pent-up energy. Yeah. And what kind of misbehavior do you see, do we typically see on walks with clients' dogs? Yeah, and this is one of those things. It's, I have to I have to say this with a little bit of tough love. Uh, getting a dog is not like getting a cat. If you can't walk them, you should not have a dog. I agree. And we can just stop there. Because if you, if you, you know, <laughs> podcast over, thank you for <laughs> Well, I, or or you can just t- t- tune this out because it's really that straightforward. There's no other way to put it. The dog has to get out. It has a right to exercise, just like you have a right to exercise your body. And it's also there's also serious need there. Frustration can lead to anxiety, which can lead to um, um, social issues. So, meaning, dog doesn't get out and meet other dogs, other people. You may cause a behavioral problem later because they just don't have the experience, and then they get worried, stressed out. Uh, and it's a, a snowball effect. But if you get a dog, be prepared to walk it. People who have live in apartments really have no choice. They have to get out and walk their dogs. But people with homes, oftentimes, Brian, you can uh, talk about this a little bit. When they have yards, they'll say, well, I have a big yard. That's still not good enough. You can't walk your dog. Don't get a dog. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, I lived out here in, uh, in Warrington, lived in uh on a small farm for a bit and had plenty of clients uh, who would say, well, you know, I don't don't walk my dogs because we have 400 acres to, to let them run on. And, you know, the first thing I say is that's terrific. They're getting physical exercise. But who's in charge of that exercise? Because essentially it's just a free for all for the uh, for the dogs to do whatever way they want. Whereas a, a leashed walk or an unleashed walk, if you're if you're up to that uh, up to that skill, 
is about you and your dog, about the structure of, you know, when I stop, you need to stop with me. If I want to turn left, if I want to go backwards, dog, you need to you need to come with me. So having that structure and being engaged in the activity with your dog is a is a major component of it. So, yes, letting your dogs run around, whether they're on a lot of property or in your backyard or at a dog park or even a daycare, it is physical exercise. But like Carl said, it's not enough. You need the structure. You need the engagement to continue fostering that strong relationship between you and your dog. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was young, young, like 10, 11, 12 years old, my parents got a Sharpay, which is the first time I've ever heard of that breed. And I think it was the first time we actually had a, a, a family dog and no one walked them. No one. And there was two of them. There's a male and female. No one just, it was just, just didn't happen. And over time, the female got very heavy and the male dog, man, just so many issues came about later. He, he was destructive, had a lot of anxiety with people coming to the door. I remember my, my next door neighbor, he bit him once or nipped him, nipped him, I should say. It wasn't serious, but, yeah. but that's my background and it led me to want to research. Um, how to be a better dog person, maybe because I'm just a natural problem solver. I'm curious about fixing things in general. So I, sure. I looked, I looked, as I got older, I looked at this and realized, man, this, there's got to be a better way. And that's when I was captivated by the Caesar Milan dog whisperer show back then. And man, he put such an emphasis on it. And looking back, I was like, that is right. That is the way it should be. There has to be an emphasis on getting these dogs out and having a structured walk i often talk about a pyramid you know the bottom being the widest the foundation the foundation yeah it has there has to be the walk in there included as far as um owning a dog having a a healthy relationship that's got to be a big part of it um as well as keeping them healthy with nutrition and medical and vet things and that sort of thing and and as you as you've said in several several previous podcasts safety is 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 probably the number one issue and that's that's true for i think all animals is first we need to we need to feel safe and have a you know the desire to survive and so we got to make our dogs feel feel safe and that's true in all aspects of, of training with our dogs they need to feel safe on a walk they need to feel safe when someone enters the home and that comes from uh, you know from leadership from them knowing that we're in charge of uh, we're in charge of them and we're in charge of every situation that uh, that comes up um, so I want to get into into leadership on the on the on the walk in a little bit. Um, So when you, when you're working with a, with a client who has leash issues, do you immediately knock on the door and hook the dog up to a leash and take the dog for a walk or how does, how does this work for you? Yeah. If if they're concerned, well, first of all, a lot of people won't bring themselves to admit that that's their primary fault, right? My primary fault, I can't walk. There's usually some other underlying thing and I will leash the dog right away. If, it's gotten to the point where the dog is dog aggressive. Um, so if I'm with a dog and they've called and said, my dog is dog aggressive and I don't really want to concoct this meeting, uh, this volatile meeting, I'll, I'll go for a walk first and leash them up right away. And you'll see Caesar Milan do the same thing as well. Cause it's really, it really is a good way to, to diffuse and mitigate, um, uh, the meeting and any potential, uh, uh, challenge that may come forth when a dog is just super, super inexperienced and uh, socially 
um, immature, right? So I won't, but most of the times I'll talk to the people first. And when they um, admit that they don't walk the dog as much or at all, most people will exaggerate. Brian, you know this. <laughs> yeah. People exaggerate. I think they feel shame. We'll say to them, how often do you walk your dog? Oh, well, I, 45 minutes. No, it's usually <laughs> not the case. And the reason we say that is because, man, if you're walking your dog 45 minutes a day or to whatever, sometimes they'll use mileage, right? They'll say three right. or four. You'd, yeah. be, you'd be in pretty good shape. And most of these people sometimes aren't in good shape or you, you can just tell. And then sometimes they'll come clean and they'll give you a different answer. Sometimes the husband will give you one answer. Then the, the wife will look and say, no, that's not, that's not right. You know, and somebody will call them out on. So anyway, people usually won't walk their dogs. But what I want to get across to them is that whatever behavioral issue they have, the walk is the foundation. So we almost always go for a walk at some point or another and start with the structure of it. And I don't know if I'm going to detail. Now I can wait till you, if you want to chime in. No, Brian, no, no, no. Here. Go. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was going to be my next question. Is why don't why don't you you know after you've got the got the dog leashed up or maybe as you're as you're getting the dog leashed up or organizing the walk whatever you want to call it in the in the um, inside the house about to go for a walk. Explain to our listeners what is what does that look like. Yeah, let me just start with this. I, I know sometimes I go off on tangents and, and sometimes they're useful and sometimes they're confusing, but let me kind of try to keep this, let me try to, let me try to keep this as tight as possible. But, uh, it's, I want to, okay, if I own a vehicle, a car, I want to make sure that I feel secure in it. So I want to get to know it. No, you know, take a driving class, obviously. Make sure my mirrors are set, my seat's set. Make sure I know where the buttons are. Same thing when I walk a dog. I just don't trust my relationship with one of my dogs that I get early on or a client's dog without really testing them with a walk. So a structured walk for me is the answer. The answer is for me breaking it down because after all, I mean, nobody wants to be tied up. I don't want to be tied to a dog and a dog doesn't want to be tied to me or tethered, whatever, right? But we have to abide by the rules, right? Sometimes there's leash laws and and, uh, that's for a good reason because the animal um, we'll do what animals do sometimes. And if you're starting off, you want to be safe. So the first thing I do is get a fixed leash. I will adamantly oppose retractable leashes. And Brian, I think you're the same way because if you don't have the right tools for beginning this exercise, this structured process, you're already creating an uphill battle. So get the right tools, fixed leash, and then also, uh, I would say, and this is almost always true unless you have one of those really passive dogs, have some kind of secure collar that's not going to slip off. Uh, so we call, sometimes we'll see people with a nylon collar. That's not really meant to be pulled on. That's more like an ID tag, right, Brian? You know, we call them yeah, that. yeah. It's more, it, I always tell clients that it's uh, it's just a, a holder for the identification tags, or if you need to grab your grab your dog in an emergency, that's what that should be used for. Or... If you're really good with working your dog, it's they're perfectly fine to walk your dog like that because they're going to respond to simple corrections or they're not pulling in the first place. But, yeah, for the most part, that that shouldn't be used to that shouldn't be considered the the first tool to uh, to walk your dog with. But we see that a lot. People just yep. will, people will just go, well, I should walk my dog. And a lot of us, like I said, we don't want to do it. It's not natural. We have to push ourselves to do it. And sometimes we try it in the beginning and then we give up or stop for one reason or another. I'm here to, to tell you that 
that there are really effective ways to overcome these obstacles, these barriers that may discourage you from a walk, because after all, it's very important to the animal. But have to have the right tools, right? Fixed leash. What is a fixed leash? It is something with, it's a basically, a, it could be a static rope, could be nylon. It just, you have a, a, a handle on one side and then a, a hook or a, what do you call it, a clasp? The, on, a bolt snap. Oh, yeah, on the or other. snap bolt. I'm not yeah. Sure. And then the collar is either going to be, um, I guess in this case, we really only advocate for one, right, Brian? I mean, I have a prong collar on all my dogs. And whether they're 20 pounds or 120 pounds, it's a tool that's always helped me. And this is how I would start. So any, 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 any questions or concerns about that, Brian, or any uh, objections to that? Do you agree? Well, you know, for the prong collar is a, gr- a great tool. Pretty much everything out there has a use, and, and we like the prong collar because it it, it gives the, the – and I'm getting into some detail here, but it gives a correction to a dog like the bite correction of another dog. So it speaks their language when we need to snap or snap the leash and get a quick correction to the to the dog in an intense fashion. But for dogs and people that don't need that, then you just a simple martingale where if you if you do pull pull on leash or your dog is is moving forward too much, he can't back out of the collar. So, you know, kind of go back to yeah. to safety there. But yeah, typically beyond that, it's, you know, a, a, just a, a regular regular martingale is fine. Yeah, and let me pause here for a moment because I, I can sense that people are thinking, what's, what's a prong collar? Is that the, the pokey, spiky thing? <laughs> and what the heck is a martingale, right? These are <laughs> – so, and this is – the reason why we we don't know about this, I'm saying we in the universal sense, because most of the time you walk into a store, pet store, what do you see most of, right? I, yeah, I've seen – Just the regular buckle. Well, well harness. There's a crap ton of harnesses out oh, there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if people know this, but a harness harnesses the dog's power, right, for, for pulling. Right. Per- I know there's some breeds that you can't, um, that you don't want to put pressure on their neck. That's fine. I get it. But actually, both the prong and the martingale are a form of um, what they refer to as a limited slip collar. So it's not like a chain, a choker that has, you know, choke all the way down to zero, right? And we actually don't use that, and it's a kind of a, a risky, uh, a very I would say moderately to high risk collar because you don't want to leave it on because they could choke themselves. But a prong collar, like Brian says, provides an instant feedback mechanism. It is a correction, but the prongs aren't sharp. They're not meant to inflict damage or puncture. It's more of a startling effect, right? So the prong collar is a very good tool, especially if you have a dog, like I used to have a Doberman, who's strong, maybe has a thicker coat, maybe has a high tolerance for whatever. Or stubborn. Um, stubborn, yeah. And these things will help you. Um, and down the line, the beauty of, of walking your dogs and practicing what, what I'm going to explain here shortly is it'll get easier and easier and easier. Before you know it, there's zero pulling at all, which is amazing to see if you've never seen it before, especially if you're coming off of, man, this dog just chokes himself out. He pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls and you think there's no hope. But what I'm telling you with the right tools and the right setup and the right uh, um, frame of mind, it is, I would say, what would you say, Brian, almost 100% this thing works if you do it. Yeah, I, you know, it's part of it is a tool, and part of it is is practicing, um, you know, being uh, being a good leader and 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 
projecting, communicating to the dog what you what you want. So part tool and, and part leadership here. And and just so just so our listeners know, like we tell all of our clients, the tools are just to bridge the gap until we yeah. get our skills up to where they need to be and our dog understands once and for all what we want. And then your work you know, your one of your goals I would hope would be to work yourself off of the tools so that you yep. don't need, you know, the prong collar so that, you know, I'm, I'm Falkier County here. I don't even, there's no uh, leash. It's verbal control. Sure. And so, you know, to, to wean myself off, not having to have a, have a leash. And that's a, that's a great thing. So you, yeah, you start with the tools that you need and then get to a point where you don't need those tools anymore. That's a, that's a really cool thing to, uh, to see. So getting back to, uh, you know, walk, walking, a, a, a with a client's dog the first time that you, that you meet it. Go ahead and get back to explaining that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to explain that when, when I, when I explain to people the structured walk, there's a lot to take in. So which is why I want to break it down. So let me just review real quick. Get the right tools and understand that this is no longer an option. You really have to do it. Okay. It's, it really is a need that the dogs, um, um, have and should have, right? So get the right tools, get the right mindset, and then create a structure that makes your life easier, okay? A lot of times people will go out, the dog is already full of energy, maybe haven't gone out in a while, or maybe you have more than one dog. There's just a ball of energy because any dog and every dog is excited to go outside, right? They spend so much time indoors, and sometimes it's okay, but, but it's really not the natural way for them to be. So when they get a chance to go out, we, we admittedly have to deal with a burst of energy, right? So that's mm-hmm. what that's what the right tools for, and that's what the right mindsets for. The, the second thing I tell people is, hey, keep your dog or dogs on the same side. Does, does that does that make sense? On the same side. So we don't want to create a situation where we accept and we allow our dogs to crisscross us, um, a tree. Um, trip us up, go behind us. So start to get in, into this like militant marching type attitude where you're going to go forward. You're going to go from point A to B, wherever that is. Hopefully it's at least a mile and you're going to keep your dog on the same side. What this allows us to do is create a routine and a consistency and your life will be easier because the dog will be okay. I see. I can't cross him here. I can't go behind. I can't pull. I'm this gonna, is my position. This is my position. And it's not to say that sometimes a dog will get ahead of you. Okay. I'm talking about, I don't know how to explain this, Brian, but you know, people do the loop-de-loop and the dogs cross them and they have to reach and they turn around, they twist and they jump over the rope or the leash, excuse me. And they, I mean, all kinds of acrobatic things to try to get into a relatively orderly uh, walking position. Right. It's because we're allowing our dogs to sniff there, sniff there, mark here, pee there, stop. We cause this because we don't bring about order. So that's right. what the fixed leash is for. That's what the prong collar is for. And that's what this piece of information I'm giving you is keep your dog on one side. If your dominant right hand, keep your dog on the right side. If your dominant right hand, but you want to correct with your right hand, keep your dog on the left side. Whatever is comfortable for you, figure it out. I'm not going to tell you which side, but keep it consistent so that we we create consistent consistency going throughout the walk. And we have now created a boundary of sorts, which is our body, right? If the dog is on the right side, what's preventing them from going to the left? 
you. What do you mean? Right? In, so one, for, in, in one form or another, you. Right. The walker. And, but you'll be surprised how many people will allow their dogs to walk them off the sidewalk into a piece of grass or yard. <laughs> the dog's like, well, I'm just going to investigate over here. I don't care that you're there. I'm going to walk you off. And the people will like go and they don't realize they're going off and they're falling off and now they're off the, tr- the, the, the beaten path or sidewalk and now they're somewhere else. So don't allow your dog to get out of its position. And how do you do that? And this is the part where you got to look at, okay, step one, tools, mindset. Step two, keep your dog on the right side. Step three, how do I prevent breaking of the rules? How do I prevent the dog breaking its position? This is where I call the boundary box. It's basically your body. Allow yourself to use your body, your legs, your arms, your hands to keep your dog in that boundary box. Which is basically, depending on the size of your dog, it's, I would say, six feet long by two or three, two, two or three feet wide, right? So it's like a rectangular imaginary boundary box. You don't want your dog getting too far ahead of that box. You don't want your dog obviously hanging back and going left or right. And if your dog's on the right side and if he's going left, he's knocking you over, you're going to trip or you're going to follow him off and you shouldn't allow that to happen either. So to keep them in there and you say, well, how? Well, you have to sometimes intervene physically. I'll sometimes bump the dog with my foot to remind it, them, hey, you're getting outside the box. I'll make a sound. And, Brian, you're good with the sharp sound. It gives them a warning. Okay. Hey, you're getting too far up or too far to the right. Or, Or just simply the sound or the touch means don't do what you're doing. Yeah. And it's just a routine that they will understand and will make your walking way, way, way more enjoyable. And even like what Brian said, if you really get good at this, then you can have off leash, uh, an off leash dog eventually, right? That's, that's not for everyone if, if you don't feel comfortable, but it's always out there, right? So, but you have to have that boundary box. And then it's just a matter of working with them and focusing. For example, the next thing is, well, what happens when you come to the end of a sidewalk? meaning an intersection or you have to stop. So there's so much that goes in, into the structured walk. In my mind, it's almost like a challenge. I get stimulated by all the different variables, right? So now I'm engaged, right? I'm not just someone looking up going, man, go to the bathroom, hurry up. When's this walk going to be over? Man, yeah, you're, cool. not, you're not, yeah. you're not texting. You're, you're, you're yeah, with your dog in that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's what I call a psychological tether. Yeah. And there's so much to gain. You know, I used to, I play a lot of video games and, and uh, a lot of what I like is experience points. There's this mechanism and these games built in. I think they know already how people's brains work, but they want you to reward you with experience points. And then you can level up and get to the next uh, uh, tier of whatever perk and which usually get, comes with a lot of access and, you know, bonus this and same way. Think of it that way. Do you want to get to the next level? Make sure you can do the basics, the boundary box, uh, keep your dog from uh, walking you off the trail. Make sure they stop when you stop. And what you'll notice is eventually, if you do it correctly, you'll notice your dog start to make eye contact with you. Right. And that's them basically checking in, waiting for an order, right? So now you've taken something so simple and you created a stronger bond. You've, you're going to allow your dog to have more freedom and, and you're not going to have to worry about the yanking and pulling, crossing of the leash, 
being frustrated when other persons across the street, another animal, because they're, they're going to realize, hey, I can still sniff. I can still mark. I can still exercise. I just can't cross here. I can't pull this far or pull at all, depending on your level of strictness. And if you want, eventually get to a point where they're off leash and they'll know that's their off leash space and they'll know to come back. So anyway, that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot more into it, Brian, as you know, but I just want to give people kind of like uh, a condensed version, right? And, and just give people this optimistic, uh, I guess, information that will help them if they think, okay, I want to get better at this or man, I've stopped, but I really should get back to it. I feel bad for my dogs. So. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of a lot of details that go into this, and things will vary. The some of the instructions we give our clients will vary from dog to dog and client to client. Um, you know, if you have someone who um, who feels that they're that they're physically weak, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how many um, uh, people I have talked to that I talked to for the first time who say, you know, I'm only 105 pounds and my dog weighs 125 pounds, and so. You know, if we if we have someone, if we're working with someone who automatically thinks that my dog is bigger than me, therefore he's more powerful than me, he's stronger than me, we'll start with with different instructions with them because they may need some more, you know, in a, in a sense, some uh, some more more confidence building first before we'll go right into well, this is how you correct your dog and and that sort of thing. So it, it can vary from uh, from client to client. And, and dog to dog, but really most of the most of the time we get responses with the uh, with the techniques that that we use. Again, they're not our techniques; they're dog techniques. We get terrific responses from dogs, and people are just amazed and you know kind of giddy at how how well their dogs are responding to them by the end of a of a two hour training session. You know, and that's that's how we want to teach our clients: is look, you can you can accomplish this, but you have to change, you have to alter how you're working with your dog, or alter the tools that you're that you're using with your dog, but um, it's it's pretty amazing how how quickly we can get these changes to happen. I mean, and there's so many secondary benefits, like you said, Brian. You have trouble with your dog, maybe a puppy, and maybe that's so they're not housebroken yet, 100%. Guess what? You walking your dog consistently will almost always get them where they need to be as far as being housebroken because they're going to have something to look forward to. They have this internal clock. They'll know. Uh oh. I have somewhere to go that's more interesting. So I won't mark here and go here and eliminate here. I'm going to go out because it's more interesting. It's more stimulating. And it's more natural. All right. So there's a lot of secondary benefits. Obviously, if your dog is um, anxious, it's going to help with that. Any kind of stress, it helps just like with people, right? People oftentimes they work a lot and they're sedentary, but you know, you hear this all the time forever and ever. It's going to be true. Exercise is important and it's also important for the dogs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of things that I that I have in my um, in my notes here that I I sent to clients. Um, just want to kind of back up a little bit. One of the things that uh, the people in rescue have said for a very long time is a tired dog is a good dog. So you start with that. If your dog is is misbehaving, start with getting him out more for exercise because it'll drain that energy, and then you have access to a to a calmer brain that you can that yep. you can you know train. Um, I, but three three things that I, I think are so terrific about a uh, about a, a walk besides the, the draining the ex- energy from the dog is one, it's a terrific time 
to bond with your dog, to get to know him, to continue building that relationship of trust and respect so that he knows how you work with him, you know, how fast you uh, you walk and, you know, if you're paying attention to him and you know how, um, you know, how his body looks when he's excited, when he sees a squirrel. So you, you really start to or continue to learn how to read his body language to know, ah, okay, when he's when his ears prick up like that and he holds his tail like that, last time he did that, he was interested in a rabbit. So I bet there's a rabbit around the corner versus, you know, if he holds his tail differently or, you know, holds his head differently, it's, you know, maybe he's interested in a squirrel or instead. It's really, it's really amazing how you can, you can distinguish between what a dog is interested just by being able to, to read the subtleties in their body language. So, you know, number one, that's, it's a great opportunity to, learn about your dog and have him learn about about you number two is the leash is a constant yep. reminder to the dog which end of the leash is in charge of the walk and which end is supposed to be compliant on the walk so if like carlos was explaining if you're letting your dog pull around and go this way and cross in front of you and pull that way and stop here and then race forward and sniff around and maybe it doesn't bother you but to the dog he thinks that he's in charge of the walk and he can do whatever we, he wants so yeah the whole world is a marking territory basically the whole yeah, world yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it turns it turns into playtime for him and, and the, the walk is supposed to be about exercise and structure not playtime and then third thing is you, you the the walk gives you um, an opportunity to turn every second into a mobile classroom. Sure. So when you when you get to the end of the curb, if you stop and he walks out in front and gets to the end of the leash and he's like, whoa, oh, okay, why did you stop? He'll come back to you. And if you just, at the very least, if you just practice passive leadership and just wait, eventually he'll bore himself into submission and just put his butt on the ground and calm down. And then you can move forward. So you teach him, we will cross the street when you're calm and you, you know, put your butt on the ground or you, he listened to the sick command or whatever. And so you can just take every opportunity when you come up to a, to a fence that has a dog. Uh, barking behind it you can teach him we either race past it because we're scared or we walk calmly because we're not scared or we take the time to stop and deal with that dog and let him bark his head off until he realizes that it doesn't benefit him and then we'll move on so you're teaching your dog when a when another dog is barking at you don't react to that dog react to me and i'm just being calm here so you know those are three three great things i like about uh, about leash walking a dog and you know carlos you asked me about this earlier to you know in all honesty i don't enjoy walking dogs like i used to i've been doing it since i got my first dog in 96 but you're honestly. the best dog walker ever i mean you yeah. just go and go i've never met anybody who's so dedicated <laughs> that disliked something so much it's just yeah and, yeah and and carlos the, the word you used is the best i know i'm certainly not the best you mean dedicated and well yes, you're best at being dedicated <laughs> the best yeah. dedicated yeah okay i, okay. See what I, see I appreciate that yeah, I've been doing it. When I got my first dog, I would do it three times a day. We would go for 35 to 45 minutes three times a day. And then after a few years, I just started doing it uh, twice a day. And I've been doing that for, you know, going on 23 yeah. years now because I've had dogs for that for that long. And, you know, I don't enjoy it like I used to, but I still do it because it benefits them. It benefits me and it benefits our our relationship. And I can't stress, you know, we can't stress how important it is to get your dog out for walks every single day. And I try to instill in, yep. in people, especially stubborn people, I'll say, 
walking exercise for a dog is every bit as important as food is for you. So every time you sit down for a meal, think about your dog could use some exercise. So, you know, two, three times a day, get him out 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever you can do that's going to make a huge difference. And oftentimes um, clients will call me up. That's the first thing I say. And sometimes I'll tell them, tell you what, why don't you walk your dog two, three times a day for a week and then give me a call back before we schedule something. And yeah, absolutely. You'd, be, you'd be surprised how many, how many people call me back and say, wow, that made a huge difference. And, you know, sometimes I, I don't need I don't need to schedule an appointment with them, which is kind of dumb on my part, I guess. But if I've helped them out just with a simple suggestion and they follow through with it, yeah, that that makes me happy. A dog is doing better, and their relationship with their human is better, and the human is happier. So, yeah, I really can't complain about that, whether I got an appointment out of out of it or not. Well, you're doing right by the dog, and and you're giving information that is going to work no matter what, unless of right. course they don't do it. But um, I wanted to finish with two things I thought of before I forget because I'm very forgetful. Um, for people that want to relate dogs to humans, we don't recommend that. But it is – there's something I will say in, uh, uh, in favor of comparing dogs to people, and that's their brain uh, activity, activity their, their psychological state. Dogs can get depressed, right? Dogs can get anxious. So dogs can get frustrated. So uh, the walk will cure a lot of those things. Okay, so so it's a very, very good tool that way. But also I wonder how many times, um, whether you see a sign that says lost dog or you've heard about someone that says my dog yeah. ran away, how many times do you think to yourself, Brian, as an experienced dog person, how many times do you think that that could have been prevented if they walked their dog? I I would say probably close to 100%. Yeah. I mean, it, and this is, a, you know, I don't want to end things on a sad note, but how many dogs that run away don't come back? You know, okay, so so whether they got hit by a car, it's awful to think about that, God forbid. But it really, or, it really does. someone... Yeah. Or someone else picked picked them up, or yep. you know maybe yep. they maybe they made it to the uh, to the shelter, or maybe they did get returned to their uh, to their owners. Yeah, but a dog running away usually almost always has has the uh, the intention of I, I want freedom. Right. I want to get out. I don't ever get out. I'm inside all day, and maybe I'm crated most of that. And may, I it's so this is what we mean. If you can't walk them, don't own a dog. Okay, it's one of those things that that distinguishes the responsibility of having a cat versus a dog. Cat, sometimes you may have an outdoor cat, sometimes you may have an indoor cat, whatever. They they tend to be okay as long as they maybe get a little stimulation, a little playtime here, but the dog really needs that that walk and the structure part of it is important because it allows you to see where you're at. Like Brian said, you can do an evaluation and assessment. It exposes you do you have some work to do? Is your dog really well off uh, with meeting other dogs as you thought? Are they well off with meeting strangers? Is he uh, responding to you? Yeah. Are they respecting you? Are they making eye contact? So it's one of those things that that, that needs to happen so that you can have that long-term, strong bond, healthy social animal. Right. Terrific. Yep. That's pretty much all I got. And, and people remember, it sounds like a lot. It can be, but remember this, there is a curve, right? So you front load 
the bulk of what needs to take place, whether it's you're correcting your dog or walking your dog, because the goal is to have a less uh, frictitious, is that right? Frictitious? Frictious or frictitious? A less challenging, <laughs> frictitious sounds like a cereal. <laughs> I don't like a cereal, but, but you know what I mean. You have a less challenging life. Quality of life late, later, right? So we're not saying, oh man, this is your new life. You're always going to have to be battling your dog. No, no, no. You front load the work just like boot camp so that you have a very structured, easy, uh, um, and harmonious existence later. Yeah. Put a, put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of rules on at the beginning of your new regiment with your dog yep. and then as you improve your skills and as he improves his responsiveness to you then you can really start to you know slack on up on these rules and uh, and um, and just things just naturally get easier for you but yes yeah, start with a start with a lot of structure and and if your dog whisperer person if you have if you have or haven't seen it or have seen it and don't remember all the different tips that Caesar Milan gave on walking go back and watch it that stuff is very 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 useful so yeah, and then while you mentioned that, uh, one thing that I suggest to our uh, to our clients is watch an episode of Caesar twice. The first time as normal, the second time with the mute on, no sound, so that you're not oh, distracted yeah. by what he's saying, by what the you know the producers are saying, or the the voiceover guy or the clients or anything. But you're really focused on the body language, both of the people and the dogs, and so you can see. That someone like Caesar has really good communicative body language that the dogs respond to very well, and a lot of clients, at least at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the episodes, their body language is, is you know horrible or communicating the wrong thing to the dog, and then also you know learning how to read dog body language um, you know, just through the TV. It sounds kind of funny, but you can you know you can see the uh, see the shape of the ear, you know, the how they carry the the head or the tail or whatever through the through the TV screen and apply that to you know your own real life when you're out walking your dog or you see another dog approach you. So it's a it's an excellent um, excellent tool that uh, that can be very helpful for a lot of people learning learning better techniques for walking their dogs. Yeah, absolutely. The, the visual stuff helps uh, a lot and helped me for sure. And I'm still using it no matter what dog age, gender, whatever. It works. And so so I, I I'll do it even though I'm like Brian. I'm like ugh. You know, <laughs> if I, you know, but that's life, right? There's things like, and I'll say something here. It's kind of funny, but who, 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 who teaches you how to brush your teeth and floss or what? Who enjoys that stuff? <laughs> now, that's a good point. We, we just, you know, it's one of those things in life. We, you do whether you like it or not because it's beneficial or because it's the right thing to do for someone else. In yes. this case, your dog or your kids or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with that, man, I'm, I'm good, man. I appreciate you, um, uh, bringing this up and, and allowing me to share. So. Yeah. Thanks for all your, uh, all your tips. I hope the, uh, the listeners got a lot out of this, but as usual, if, uh, if anyone out there has any, any questions or comments or feedback, feel free to, uh, uh, to contact us at gooddogworkshop.com or you can email me directly at uh, brian at gooddogworkshop.com or even uh, or even call us at 703-489-1319. Um, yeah. If there is anything else you want to add, Carlos? No, that's it. I mean, we don't have an outro song, but yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll maybe put put one in at some point. Yeah, we'll point. we'll work on work on that soon. So, thanks again for uh, yep. for joining me, Carlos. I appreciate yep. it. No problem. And uh, thanks to all for all of our listeners. And don't forget to uh, to give us a thumbs up when you uh, see us on iTunes. Okay. Yeah. Until next. We'll time. We'll see you next time. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right.